welcome to this week's episode of Pump Pod. I'm Salem and this is Leo and we'll be your MCs for today. I don't know about you, Leo, but I have my contacts in right now and my eyes are actually so dry. I don't know if this happens to you. Do you wear contacts? Yeah, I actually wear contacts pretty much every day. I've been doing that since like the last four years, I believe. Um, I know I just find it because I also have glasses, obviously, but I just find the contacts more uh, they're they're easier to deal with because I just have to pop them in the morning and then there's nothing on my face for the rest of the day. Meanwhile, with the glasses, I can say pretty confidently that I broke my fair share of glasses by lose or lost them or sat on them somehow. But <laughs> I can't do those things with my contacts. So I don't know. I've just I've basically just stuck with contacts for the last few years. I like wear glasses a lot. I think it's just easier to put on. For me, I have um like daily contacts. So I can just pop them in every single day if I want to wear them. So I bought like a big like pack from my optometrist and then um, I can kind of choose when to use them. So I won't need to like use them up throughout the year. But sometimes like when I have my contacts in, I feel like I have my glasses on. So I'll be like touching my face trying to find my glasses. But um, yeah, actually, we're actually having a special guest on um, optometry today. So for this episode, we have a special guest named Dr. Jennifer Tran. She's an optometrist practicing at several clinics in the GTA. Yeah, today she'll be sharing some insights on her profession, background, and medical journey. So hi, Dr. Tran. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about optometry and your current profession. Yeah, sure. Um, so where do I start? Where do I start? Uh, so I actually recently graduated um, last year. And, you know, as an optometrist, you're essentially the primary eye care provider. Um, so you, it, it's analogous to like a family doctor, um, but we just specialize in eye care. So we prescribe glasses, but also more importantly, we also check your eye health and things like that. Awesome. So I know you take a special interest in ocular disease and myopia control. So uh, I personally don't know what those mean. So could, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, myopia is also nearsightedness, uh, which means that you have blurry vision in the distance and up close, it's um, pretty clear for you. And associated with myopia is you get this eye elongation. Um, and that's actually the scary part because that's associated with vision-threatening complications such as cataracts or glaucoma or retinal detachment and um, myopic maculopathy. So they all sound quite scary. Um, and to put things into perspective, um, basically someone with a minus two prescription is you know, three times more likely to get a retinal detachment, um, whereas someone with a minus eight prescription is actually 20 times more likely to get a retinal detachment uh, compared to someone who has no prescription. Um, and that's why we have what we call myopia control. Um, and that is basically consists of various treatment options to slow down the progression of nearsightedness. So it's not to stop it because we cannot actually stop myopia, um, but it's just to slow down that progression so that um, the child, you know, is going to be less at risk of getting those eye diseases, like I mentioned. Um, so these treatment options include 
rigid contact lenses. So these are contact lenses that you sleep during the night and you wake up in the morning, take them out and you can actually see without glasses. Um, so that's also called orthokeratology. Um, and then there's also soft contact lenses you wear during the daytime. There are uh, certain glasses, so specialty lenses, um, and they're also low concentration eye drops to use as well. So it's, it's a pretty new field in optometry and it's really growing so quickly because so many people are becoming nearsightedness now or nearsighted now. Um, so it, it's really exciting. So when you're looking at prescribing all those treatments you talked about from rigid contact lenses to like soft contact lenses, because I know I wear soft contact lenses. Yeah. How, how has the pandemic impacted how you guys go about treating those? In terms of treating those? Or really just maybe the field as a, as a whole. So everything from addressing it to prescription to treating everything. Sure. Um, yeah, funny enough. So we are seeing so much more nearsightedness with the pandemic, especially in kids. And we're seeing it, you know, much earlier. Um, and that's to do with the virtual learning. Of course, you know, everyone is indoors. They're always on their screens, not going outside. And all of that plays a role. So it's really, really unfortunate that we are seeing um, kids at a younger age come in needing those glasses. Um, so that's one way that um, the pandemic has really impacted us, I would say, in terms of prescribing and things like that. Oh, that's actually interesting. Um, like Leo mentioned, he wears soft contacts and I also have my contacts in right now. So the myopia control part is definitely a little scary, but definitely interesting and something new. Um, yeah. So for those interested in optometry, because I know a lot of our listeners are either high school students or university undergraduate students, mm. um, are there like specific undergraduate programs that prepare you best for optometry? Um, I would say that um, a life science program such as honor science or biomedical science um, would, would prepare you well. Um, I know there isn't a an actual specific program requirement that you need to enroll in. Um, it's more so that you need to meet the prerequisite courses. Um, and, and a lot of those honor science or biomedical science, they kind of lay out a good framework because they include a lot of those prerequisite courses. You know, however, if you were interested in like chemistry or biochemistry, you can go go with those as well, um, as long as you take those prerequisite courses. Oh, I see. So Leo and I were actually talking about this earlier, but there's two fields in regards to the eye, ophthalmology and optometry. I know you completed your doctor of optometry at Waterloo. Um, can mm -hmm. you tell us the difference between the two? Yeah. Um, so ophthalmologists, they actually perform surgery um, and they undergo more uh, extensive training and they need a medical, they go to medical school for that. Whereas optometrists, um, so we go to optometry school um, and we are the primary eye care doctors. We do not perform um, surgeries. And if our patients require surgeries or more specialized care, then we will refer to our ophthalmologist uh, colleagues. 
Oh, that's interesting. I actually had no idea. Um, out of the two then, I guess, because you chose to go into optometry, you're really passionate about like eye health. Um, what made you choose um, optometry over ophthalmology? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I guess for me, I wasn't so much interested in performing those surgery. Um, and, you know, honestly, medical school and doing the residency and fellowship, it's a lot of schooling. Um, so it's definitely not for everyone, um, including me. Um, so because, you know, I really had no interest in surgery, I was like, you know, optometry is the way to go for me. So for the, uh, the first year, it was a lot of general science. Um, so that's similar to undergrad. And a lot of my friends kind of did not like that. Or I know a lot of my colleagues, you know, did not appreciate that repetition. But, you know, to some extent, I think that it is important to do just, just to get like the basics out of the way. Um, and then for year two and three, it's kind of going more in depth with the, um, the optometry training. Um, we get to learn clinical skills. So that's where all the fun came in. Um, and for our last year, um, it was basically different externships to different clinics. Um, and again, that was really fun. And we basically felt like we were actual optometrists, except we would have a supervisor. Um, and a lot of learning was done then. So, you know, overall, I think that optometry school um, was a really good experience. Um, and, you know, I know people who were not accepted into optometry school at Waterloo. And in that case, you can always apply to schools in the States as well, because there are, you know, 21 schools in the States versus just the one English speaking optometry school in Waterloo. Because you chose optometry after undergrad, what steps do students have to take to pursue optometry? Yeah, so there is um, a minimum three-year undergraduate uh, requirement. Um, and after that, you need to take the OAT test. So it's the optometry admissions test. It's similar to uh, PCAT for pharmacy or MCAT for med school. And that test is a multiple choice examination that evaluates your you know, general science knowledge, uh, reading comprehension and quantitative reasoning. Um, and once you do that test, and once you think that you have a competitive score, then you, tend, you will apply for optometry school. So you know, there are two in Canada. I'm not sure if you guys knew that. Uh, the only English speaking one is Waterloo and the other one is at uh, University of Montreal and that's French speaking. Um, and then, you know, after going through like the interview and being accepted, it's four years of optometry school. Uh, there's also an optional one year of a residency after you graduate optometry school. And that's if you want to gain more experience in a specialty such as like cornea and contact lenses or pediatrics and binocular vision or low vision, things like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, at least from like, I can say that from the patient perspective, because I've been going to optomet uh, optometrists for quite a few years now. Um, I know there is 
I'll, I can see that there's a lot going on on the back end from the like behind the scenes to what actually happens to get me my contact lenses and my right. uh, specific prescription. Uh, we learned during the research phase that you actually run an Instagram account focused on educating others about everything eye related. Uh, so could, could you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to actually start that Instagram account? Yeah, of course. So I've always, you know, considered it and I've always wanted to create this educational platform to, you know, inform my friends, family, and even strangers about, you know, all these optometry related things. Um, but what really, I guess, pushed me over the edge is that, you know, during the midst of the pandemic, um, there was a period where, it was, you know, the stay at home orders and I was working reduced hours at my clinic. So I had a lot more free time. And so I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to uh, start my Instagram page, um, you know, and create this fun, you know, interactive content um, just to educate people about all things eye related. Yeah, that's a really good point, um, especially with uh, the uh, current pandemic at the moment and everything, um, all the positives about teaching online. But do you think in today's world, there's enough awareness about issues in optometry? That's a good question. Um, I mean, yes and no. So with, you know, Instagram, you know, I follow a lot of other, you know, educational pages and I'm so happy that they're like spreading awareness and things like that. Um, but, you know, there is definitely room for improvement. Um, I know that before starting optometry school, I basically had no idea um, what the optometrist was doing, like what was dilation? I never had that done um, when I was a child. Um, I had no idea what cataracts were and how diabetes can affect the eye and things like that. Um, and I guess that's also one of the reasons why I started my Instagram page, you know, to educate people and patients about you know, all these important aspects, um, such as, you know, keeping up with your eye health and, and what you can do and what's bad for your eyes and things like that. Alrighty. Um, what are some ways we can help control myopia? I know you said like now a lot of children because of virtual learning. And I know even because of lockdown, everyone's kind of spending a lot of time on their screens, whether it's like watching Netflix, playing video games, or even just attending class. Um, are there any like tips and tricks that we can use or like things that we can, um, like habits that we can develop that can really help us with myopia? For sure. Um, so I would say try to follow the 20-20-20 rule. I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of that, um, but it's basically every 20 minutes you want to look 20 feet away um, for about 20 seconds. So, you know, taking frequent breaks from the screen um, and also keeping your near work um, a good distance away from the face so you don't want it too close. Um, because that can contribute to some nearsightedness. Um, so, you know, in general, just, you know, taking breaks from your screen is always a good idea. Um, and if you can, you know, go outdoors. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I think at least from like myself and my family, a lot of us were finding it uh, that we're spending the vast majority of our day indoors staring at a screen with like school yeah. and my work and everything um, going virtual. Um, mm -hmm. and it can sometimes be a little difficult to remember to um, even for like a mental health perspective and a and obviously an eye perspective to, to get outside and even just look at something 20 feet away. Yeah. Um, in terms of our viewers who are maybe interested in optometry or looking to pursue optometry, what advice would you give to students either on the high school or undergrad um, side of things who are looking to pursue a career in optometry? Yeah, so I would say, you know, if you can try to reach out to either your own optometrist or um, an optometrist in your neighborhood. Um, and it's a good idea to shadow them for a day if you can, just to, you know, get to really understand what the profession is all about. Um, because, you know, just reading about it on paper is one thing, but getting that experience of shadowing them, you know, knowing what the behind the scenes are, you know, um, it's it's more than just which is clearer one or two it's about you know the patient interaction um you know educating patients about certain diseases and things like that um and i know for myself i had the opportunity to um shadow an optometrist that i worked for before and that was really really great um experience and i learned a lot from that mm -hmm. so as a continuation of that is there any advice that would you that you would give to yourself specifically, at least to your like pre-optometry self? Oh, <laughs> um, I would say you know, don't stress too much um, because I think I did. <laughs> um, you know, we're always so focused on the academics. I think like um, in in undergrad. And you know when we're not sure of what we want to do in the future, or when we're thinking of entering a professional school or professional program, we always put so much pressure on ourselves to to perform and to get the good grades. Um, but it's also important to just you know relax, and it's not all about the grades. Sometimes we we need a good. Um, balance between school and work and our social life. I definitely agree with that. I actually just finished my first year of undergrad. So I definitely Ooh, know, <laughs> oh, thank you. Definitely know uh, what that stress is like. Um, yeah. But I definitely think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, the shadowing part you mentioned was pretty interesting too. I know it's really common in the USA where you have to kind of have shadowing hours or it's more common there than here. I didn't know that was like a thing you can do um, in Canada, but it's definitely a great tip for a lot of people who are listening who might want to try doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, to carry on from the undergraduate experience, what was your experience like in optometry school? Um, I had a really, really good experience. So I went to undergrad in Waterloo as well. Um, and part of the reason was I, um, when I decided to go to Waterloo, I kind of had the idea that I wanted to go to optometry school and I thought that it would be an easier transition there. Um, and so, you know, going to the optometry school at Waterloo, I already knew um, kind of the environment, 
I knew where all the buildings were. I also had friends there. So I think that that took away, you know, part of the anxiety of, you know, going to school in a new place um, for the first time and things like that. Um, you know, I made so many great friends in optometry school. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but at the same time, um, it's also very stressful. And I have friends who probably think that um, it was like much more stressful than I, I think it was. That's really cool. Um, maybe taking, maybe zooming out at uh, uh, the field of optometry as a whole, do you think there, there are any misconceptions about the optometry field in today's world? Yeah, so funny that you asked that. Um, have you guys heard about the job action that's coming up? No, I have not. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a relatively a new thing. Um, but on September 1st, optometrists in Ontario will stop accepting OHIP patients. Um, so that includes children 19 and under, seniors 65 and over, and certain patients with eye diseases like glaucoma and you know, diabetes and things like that. Um, and that's because seeing all these OHIP insured uh, patients is, is no longer sustainable for optometrists. Um, so to put that into perspective, um, OHIP covers half the cost of an eye exam. So on average, you know, they'll pay optometrists $45 to perform these eye exams. But the average cost to provide an eye exam is about $80. And so we have to pay the rest of it out of pocket. Um, so the, the $80, you know, it includes rent for the office. It includes insurance, um, you know, paying your staff. It includes the equipment. Um, but that's not even taking into account how much you are going to pay the doctor or your associate. Um, and you know, the government has ignored our request to meet for five months. Um, and, and they really have left us with no choice but to um, go with this, this job action. Um, because unlike teachers or physicians, we don't have a negotiating process. Um, and so they always ignored us and we were not, never offered any solutions to this. In terms of like September 1st, so I personally have no idea if I'm an OHIP patient or not. I would assume I am because I'm under 19. Yes, so, so you are. So if let's say I need new, a new prescription on September 2nd, we're like, is that just not possible anymore? <laughs> or how does, how does that go? Yeah. So our goal is that we will have this issue resolved before September 1st. So if the government will negotiate with us um, and, and um, they create this binding formal negotiating process um, and they reimburse us properly so that we no longer have to pay out of pocket, um, then we don't need to go ahead with this job action and, and we're happy to accept OHIP patients. However, if they are not negotiating with us, then we have no choice but to go ahead with this job action. 
Um, and for you as an OHIP patient, we will not be able to see you. So if you needed um, a prescription, then you would have to go through like an ophthalmologist. Okay, that's, I mean, that's interesting at least. I know, cause like I'm in high school and uh, last year or yeah, it was early last year, um, we had the teacher strikes. And so yeah. that was, at least we got to see firsthand like the negotiation process between um, uh, a field and the, the government. So mm -hmm. um, hopefully we won't have to go through that process with uh, the optometry field and we can get that resolved before. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. Um, like this has been going on for, for 30 years and, and we, st we started this uh, Save Eye Care campaign probably last year. Um, but we just needed to ramp things up because, you know, we weren't being heard. Hopefully um, everything does go as planned. It would suck not to be able to see patients because of it and just mm -hmm. for waiting for 30 years. That's crazy. So hopefully there is some change there before September 1st. Yeah, yeah. Like not a lot of people you know, understand kind of the politics behind it, or, you know, they think that um, we, we make so much money from, from an eye exam, right? Um, but really, we were only reimbursed half the amount. Um, and we're paying out of pocket for the other half. So, so you know, it, it's really unfair. And, you know, people ask, you know, why now, right? Um, and it's because it's been going on for a long time. Um, also with the pandemic, we've been having to invest in like PPE, other things. Um, we're seeing less patients overall because we have to space out the appointments. Um, and, you know, most clinics, I would say they're seeing about 70% um, OHIP patients. Um, and with the aging population, this number is just going to grow. Um, and so it, it really just isn't sustainable. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, like from my perspective, I can't just become a non-OHIP. Can I? Is that like an option? Yeah, awful? yeah, you cannot. That's the thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so... If I would, me and my brothers, we would be OHIP patients. Well, my brothers and I, we would be OHIP mm -hmm. patients. But that's right. So my parents, for example, would they not be OHIP patients? So how old are your parents? I believe they're in their <laughs> mid forties. I don't know. The yeah. Exact. So they will not be OHIP patients unless they have um, diabetes or some other eye condition that will make them eligible for OHIP. Generally, no. So we would be able to see them. Okay. So, yeah. but like, as of right now, in the current system, when my mom goes to get an eye check or a prescription, she pays the full um, thing. But when I go, oh, it pays for half of it? No. So um, you, so for your mom, she'll pay whatever the clinic charges for an eye exam. So in general, that would be around a hundred dollars. Okay. Um, and then when you go, you know, you don't have to pay us because it's free for you because OHIP covers your exam and OHIP mm -hmm. will pay us about $45. Oh, right. Yeah. So. But 
but it actually costs us more like $80 to see you, um, to, you know, because we need to pay for the equipment. We need to pay our staff. We need to pay for the rent. So seeing kids and the elderly is really a net loss for you guys. Exactly. That's wow. what we need. Yes. So that's what we're trying to communicate and educate our patients. Yeah. It, it really is a net loss, but you know, we can't just not take them. Exactly. Yeah. Especially like that population, like currently with children, like you said, like it's getting worse than your sinus and the seniors, obviously, yeah. as you get older, they start to have like impairment with vision as well. Exactly. Oh. So they are probably like, they are in critical need of our services. Mm-hmm. Yet we only get paid half the amount we should like we're losing money to see them so it, it just doesn't make sense it doesn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and we've been explaining this to the government for quite a bit and they're not really you know responding to us seems like they're not invested in eye care and that's that's where the whole save eye care campaign started oh i see mm-hmm. yeah i mean this is really cool at least from like my perspective, I hadn't have heard about um, Save Eye Care like prior to today, mm-hmm. but I know I'll definitely be <laughs> trying to get as many people to sign that because I would like to have a prescription after. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. That would be great. So at least I know at the end of the day, again, going back to the teachers, that was addressed, like that was solved after the, the strike. So hopefully mm-hmm. they can learn from what happened with the teachers and we can get this dealt with. Yeah, and the the other thing with teachers is um, they have the advantage in numbers, which we don't necessarily have. Um, Like they have a formal negotiating process, which is why they're able to go on strike and things like that. But we really don't. And so that's probably why we are kind of pushed aside. Um, And that's why we need to go ahead with this job action to actually be heard. Otherwise, the government's not really going to care about us. Is this like the first time you're taking like serious big action, like stopping like the OHIP patients and stuff? Yeah. So last year we started a little bit in the sense that we were not accepting some referrals from, uh, from family doctors. Um, but that only lasted a little while because not all clinics were on board. Um, so, you know, some clinics were still accepting it while others were not. Um, and so that kind of got messy, but this one, um, we're all Ontario optometrists aren't bored. So, you know, we're going to make a statement. So from that side of things, does that mean optometrists aren't unionized? Yeah, we're not. Okay. Yeah. So that's where the, I guess, because I know with the teachers, the reason why they were able to like negotiate with the government and put on all the strikes was because they could just like, as you said, they had the power in numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. I guess it's, it's pretty clear to see why this is such a big issue today. I guess um, with, with optometrists, because if we don't have that negotiating power, uh, it, it's kind of up to the government to, the, to come to the table. Right, right. Yeah. And for months, we've been trying to negotiate with them. 
they really have not responded to our phone calls and things like that. Um, and so, you know, one of the reasons why we're setting that deadline to September 1st is that we want to give them enough time to respond, you know, to come back with a, a reasonable offer um, so that we can have a formal negotiating process, but also um, reimburse us properly so that we don't have to pay out of pocket to see the kids, to see the elder, elderly, because, you know, it doesn't make sense that we, we see them at a loss. Mm -hmm. Especially like you said before, because they are like the majority of the patients that do come to see an optometrist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that just about wraps up at least the questions we have for you. So thank you so much, Dr. Tran, for taking the time to feature on our podcast. Uh, we believe that your experiences and insights will be at least very helpful to those um, considering a path in optometry who are, are listening in today. And as always, thank you to our listeners who tuned in for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and were able to learn something new. Make sure to join us next week when we interview Juliana Botros, a third-year student at Mac Health Sciences. So get pumped!